You filled your belly. I couldn't eat another thing. I'm absolutely stuffed. Now fill your brain with lightning knowledge. What can I do to speed the whole thing up, doctor? This is Lightning Lunch, a full hour of lightning talk with lightninginsider.com's Eric Erlinson. Did you see the memo about this? On Lightning Power Play. Good afternoon. Welcome to this Wednesday, February the 19th edition of Lightning Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. I am Eric Erlinson, your host from lightninginsider.com, as well as a host of the opening face-off. You can hear for home games, 430 most home games. And then, uh, as you hopefully know by now, logistics sometimes get in the way. We do like to do the show on weekends as well. But uh, sometimes it just gets in the way with these 4 p.m. starts. Um, so we'll we'll keep you updated on, on when we can do opening face-off shows because the next Saturday game, which comes up on the 29th, is actually a 4 p.m. start as well against the Calgary Flames. Uh, you can also catch me with Greg Linelli on the last call post-game show after road games, most road games anyway. No last call tomorrow night as the Lightning will pick back up for some action in Vegas against the Golden Knights. Uh, there will be no last call after that game, however, because, you know, it's a 10 p.m. start. I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm looking to get to bed at a decent hour, and a decent hour for me is before 6 a.m. on 10 p.m. games. So uh, no last call tomorrow night with Greg, but... Uh, I think we'll have a last call for every remaining road game with the exception of the game that's in Vancouver next month, which is also a 10 p.m. start. I think everything else will fall into the last call category as we start to tick down the final days of the regular season. Only 22 games left on the calendar between now and the end of the regular season. We're looking at about six to seven, about seven weeks away from the end of the regular season. And, of course, just a few more days until the uh, NHL trade deadline comes on Monday at 3 p.m. So uh, the days are starting to tick down. We are getting close to the fun time of the year. Not to bring up bad memories, but it is a fun time of the year when the postseason starts. As we know, there's no... Not much better in the world of sports than NHL playoffs. So we're getting very, very close to that, but we're not there yet. Still a lot uh, going on with this team. Mentioned the trade deadline. Blake Coleman was picked up from the New Jersey Devils on Sunday. Of course, he did not play in Monday's game in Colorado. The team was off yesterday. Uh, the team will practice this afternoon, Eastern time, anyway, 2.30 Eastern time is when the Lightning are expected to take to the ice for practice at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. So we won't know while we're on the air here anyway where Blake Coleman might fit in, but at least now we'll start to get some answers and we can certainly discuss and dissect it a little bit more tomorrow. Uh, Vegas comes into tomorrow night's game having won three in a row. Uh, there's a really good chance that they can add Alec Martinez before tomorrow night's game and came down yesterday from various sources, including Bob McKenzie and Dave Pagnota from the fourth period, that a deal was uh, being consummated, although we're 
we're looking at uh, over 12 hours now since that went out and still no official deal, but I would have to think that that deal is coming, so there's a good chance that the Golden Knights could have Alec Martinez in the lineup by tomorrow night. All right, with no game yesterday and, and no practice until we get off the air today, a couple things I want to bring up. Uh, first of all, I have a poll running up on my Twitter feed. So if you go to my Twitter feed and use uh, it's at Eric, E-R-I-K underscore Erlinson, and that's E-R-L-E-N-D-S-S-O-N. Do the Lightning need to make another move ahead of Monday's trade deadline to bring in a defenseman? And your options are, yes, they need a right-handed top 4D. Yes, they need to add depth. No, the defense is fine as is. Or no, price is too high. And uh, this is, uh, so far, and I've only had this poll up for a little over an hour. Um, it's very close. Like, it's... It's close, and there's just under 250 votes so far. And I'll have this up running through Friday's show. We'll discuss it a little bit more on Friday's show, unless something happens between now and then, of course. Uh, but we'll discuss it more on Friday's show. But uh, 25%, 26%, 27%, and 22% are the current running tally of votes on this poll. Uh, so very interesting that... Uh, very div divided amongst the fan base uh, looking at this poll as to what the Lightning should do. I, I'm on record. I, I don't think you can have enough depth when it comes to defense. Um, I think that if you're going to go on a long run, if you want to go on a long run, then you need as many defensemen as you can. Uh, a couple of responses to this that I'll share from Fabio who checks in from Italy. If you remember Fabio, he was the Distant Thunder from last year. They just they just had the Distant Thunder from this year over, by the way. Ava, if you've watched the commercials, uh, she is from Slovakia but lives in, was it Indonesia? Somewhere in that region of the world. Uh, they brought her in. She was here for Saturday's game against the Flyers, so I'd expect you'll see a promo or some sort uh, on that, I think I heard her say 18 hours to get back home on a, fl on a flight. That's ridiculous. It's a lot longer than you on a plane coming back from uh, Hawaii, wasn't it? Eight hours. Yeah, that's how long it was for you? No, no, no. It, but that's how long it was you. You were on the plane eight hours coming back from Hawaii? 9.45. Oh, so almost 10 hours. 18 hours is still a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Especially with all the... Uh, yeah, so I guess double double the, the, the flight time for Ava uh, heading back to, uh, I think it was Indonesia. In Indonesia, I, don't, I hate to say the exact, it's, it's somewhere in that. It's over in the Far East somewhere is where she's from. I, I think I saw the promo that she's, she's like, is it Bali? Okay. So this is why I have you around. you got to correct me when I'm wrong. And I, I'm wrong quite a bit, so uh, you, until you have to keep me on my toes. Um, but I, I think she said she's like 14 or 16 hours ahead. Of, of the Lightning, so she's actually making breakfast when the team is playing at like 7 o'clock at night. It's bizarre. Um, so anyway, uh, Fabio checked in. He says, uh, I say no, we don't need any other trade. Looking at Luke Shen, if he continues to play like this, uh, like in the, in the past two weeks or so, he'll be a good add for the roster. So we have the eight defensemen, Victor Hebben, 
Braden Colburn, Kevin Shattenkirk, Mikhail Sergachev, Eric Chernak, Luke Shen, Jan Ruda, and Ryan McDonough. So we're fine, in my honest opinion. Three of them are out right now, though. And I guess that's that's kind of my thought process, is that you're already missing three. We'll f hopefully have a more of a status update on Ruda and McDonough for sure. Maybe by this afternoon. Ruda did skate Monday morning before the game against the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, Braden Colburn was a surprise scratch as he did take part in the morning skate but left early. And, of course, McDonough has been out for a couple of weeks as well as he recovers from taking a Evgeny Malkin shot off his ankle uh, a couple of weeks ago too. So it's been about two weeks for both McDonough and Ruda. So uh, hopefully we get it up. But that's, that's my kind of my point. It, it, these guys, defensemen tend to get injured more. They tend to block shots more than uh, other positions. They take more hits than other positions, and um, they tend to, to break down or get injured more often just because of the way that they play, the nature of the position. Uh, from Jay, uh, my trade proposal gives Steve Eisenman back his fourth-round pick, retain salary, and send the Lightning Green, uh, Mike Green or Trevor Daly for depth on the blue line. Uh, I wouldn't touch Mike Green. Uh, he is nowhere near the player he was when he was with the Washington Capitals. Um, I know he's a right-handed shot D. I would stay far away from Mike Green if I was Julian Brisebois. Uh, I'm not sure how much Trevor Daly has left either. And I guess if you're just looking for depth, I, you know, maybe that's something to consider. It's, you know, low low risk in terms of a draft pick that you might give up. But uh, I, I like the idea of depth. Uh, from JC, the only way I make a trade for a right-handed D is knowing it's 100% an upgrade over Ruta and doesn't require the other first-rounder. They have this summer Dylan DeMello, who did go to Winnipeg yesterday from Ottawa, would have been the perfect move. Not sure Ottawa would have sent him inside the division that cheap. Uh, I agree with that. I certainly agree with, uh, I don't think Ottawa. Look, they were very, very hesitant to trade Eric Carlson within the division. Uh, not that Eric Carlson is anywhere near Dylan DeMello. But DeMello is a right-handed shot. So that's always an attractive piece. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know if Ottawa would have wanted to trade in the division or not anyway so um but again i'm of the, i'm of the the feel that they need at least depth i don't know how big you have to go how much you have to give up and that's always the question what's the price they've already played a uh, or paid a pretty hefty price to bring in blake coleman in giving up vancouver's first round draft pick and then nolan foot who was their first round pick from last year uh, to bring coleman in and if you saw or if you read elliot friedman's 31 thoughts Yesterday, you saw a little nugget in there that said Tampa Bay basically outbid the Boston Bruins for Blake Coleman. And he did mention that Edmonton was in on the, um, the talks as well. So that's you get an idea why the price started to get dri driven up. If, if that's the player they targeted and that's the one they wanted and good on New Jersey – for knowing that there were teams vying for Blake Coleman and to be able to get a package of a first-round pick and um, Nolan Foote out of it, that's, that's good. Good on New Jersey's part, so now you understand why the price went up just a little bit. So, um, interesting nuggets. If, if you don't read Elliot's 31 Thoughts, which come out, 
they're not, they don't come out the same day every week, but they're in the same range. Uh, always a must-read uh, from Elliot. He always has really good good nuggets on you know stuff around the league. He's he's one of the best insiders out there. Um, speaking of insiders, we're gonna have Mike Johnson on the show today. Mike Johnson, former NHL player, did play here with the Lightning for a couple years. He joined us on the show last year, so we're going to have him back on today somewhere around 12, 20, 12, 25. We'll get Mike on the phone. Uh, Mike does work for NHL Network for TSN. He does work for NHL on NBC as well as Sirius XM NHL Radio. He has a 10 o'clock, 10 to 11 with Scott Lachlan that he does. So um, we're going to get Mike on the show. We're going to get some of his thoughts on the Blake Coleman trade. And also, he called the game that uh, Nikita Kucherov ended up being benched way back in December. He was, I'm pretty sure he was between the, um, between the benches for that one, as he tends to do for TSN. So interested to get his take on what he saw that night and what he sees in the team now, uh, almost two months later, to you know, to where the Lightning are now second overall in the league standings. Um, so Mike Johnson, again, will join the show here in about 10 minutes or so to give us some of that thought process. If you have any questions, by all means, always, you can find me always. Use the hashtag AskEE on Twitter. And on top of that, if you miss the show live, if you listen to it on replay, you can always always send me in the questions and I may not get it to it that day but we have several of these segments obviously I do it every day from 12 to 1 live and then I also have segments with Greg Lanelli during second intermission of every game not just home games or road games every game me and Greg have a second intermission seg segment so that if I don't get to your, your question that day you send it listen for it uh, maybe the next day or later that night during the broadcast, and uh, we'll we'll answer the questions. Um, again, I love the interaction. I love the concept of being able to have you guys interact with us here um, at Lightning Power Play because you have questions, and hopefully we have answers, insights, analysis, whatever you, you want to kind of call it as. But um, you know, we we love the interaction here on the show, so. Uh, make sure you keep them coming. Did anybody see last night? Did you watch the documentary on Connor McDavid last night after the the Penguins Leafs game? I I wasn't sure I wanted to watch it, and I, it didn't even dawn on me that the the game was ending and that was coming up. I knew it was following the show. I wasn't sure I was going to watch it, but I'm glad I did. It was very very interesting. You know, if you're not familiar with what that's all about, Connor McDavid went hard into the net. I think it was the last game or, or next to last game of the regular season last year. Not too dissimilar to what happened to Steven Stamkos back in 2013 when he did the same in Boston and ended up breaking his leg. He, his leg was a little bit more bent, so it didn't it wasn't stretched out. 
and Edmonton did a very good job of not letting information out on this. But when you when you look the look at the documentary, he actually did have a fracture in the tibia, the upper part of the tibia, and his PCL, not MCL or ACL, the PCL was severed. It, it's it is the worst actually. It's the worst ligament to tear or to have severed. It, it is it it is much harder to repair than the MCL or the ACL. I mean, we hear about ACL all the time, right? Like players go through these type of surgeries and you know they're usually back in action and they might miss six months before they're back to full strength well listening to the doctors if he had surgery on that pcl he'd have been out for all of this year and it might have taken him two years to get back to full strength so he opted instead to try and rehab it and the hours and hours and hours he did in the workroom the number of MRIs and testings he did on the leg, on the knee, to see if the ligament was going to reattach itself. You know, they're, they're a month into this rehab, and they're still not sure if they're going to be able to avoid surgery. I mean, it was fascinating to kind of watch this process. And the fact that none of this leaked out the entire summer as this was going on, and it, it's kind of a dead time. You know, there's, especially there's a lot of focus on the NHL playoffs all the way up until, you know, you get to the draft in June and then free agency in July, and then it kind of just dies, dials down big time around the league. But it is Connor McDavid, and he does play in a Canadian market. So the fact that none of this got out is absolutely fascinating to me. And then to watch the documentary, I, I, I suggest you give it, a, give it a listen, give it a, a watch. And I'm surprised, well, I'm not surprised, but I think fans would have really enjoyed down here watching what Steven Stamkos went through. And they, they touched on it a little bit here and there, but nowhere near to the level that they did with McDavid. I mean, they had cameras in there when he was talking to the doctors about his... I mean, he was going under undergoing MRIs almost every day in some aspects. They would put him through a workout regime, test the knee, not over-test it, but test it, and then they would take an MRI to see if the, the ligament was going to reattach itself. I mean, it's unbelievable. I, I have a whole new level of respect for, for McDavid and getting back to the ice this year and being at full strength. They weren't sure when training camp opened if he was going to be ready, even for the first month of the season. And then all of a sudden he's back out there opening night. It helps to be young. Right, Connor? You repair a little bit better when you're younger. And Connor McDavid is only 22. But the fact that here he is at 22, having to make this decision, surgery, I'm not going to say it's the easy way out, but sometimes it's the easy fix. But he has to make that decision. If you have the surgery, you're going to miss at least a year of your career. And you never know. You never know how surgery is going to be. You never know how it's going to be on the other side of the surgery. So to opt instead to put in the thousands of hours he did over the summer, it was almost on a daily basis. To put in the work and the rehab that was required to get him back up to full strength, really, really cool stuff to kind of to kind of watch. And, you know, for him to agree for this documentary, because you have to agree to this. I mean, they're pretty much from the start 
of this decision. They had this this uh, documentary type thing put in place, which again is amazing to me that nothing, nothing leaked out until we got almost close to the start of training camp or, you know, a little bit through training camp. So uh, very, very fascinating. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. Uh, like I said, Mike Johnson is going to join us, so we'll get Mike on the phone here uh, in a few minutes, and uh, we'll ask him about uh, some uh, about the lightning, about the trade, everything. Uh, so we'll get Mike on the phone when we come back right after this. Oh, we've got more lightning talk for you. You'll want to focus on the neglected food groups, such as the whipped group, the congealed group, and the chocotastic. This is Lightning Lunch with LightningInsider.com's Eric Erlinson. I can. Nay, I must eat everything I've always wanted. On Lightning Power Play. All right, welcome back to Lightning Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Eric Erlinson from lightninginsider.com your host and uh, we are pleased right now to be joined by a man who wears many hats with TSN and NHL Network and NHL and NBC and Sirius XM NHL Radio Mike Johnson Mike did I miss anything there did that cover the whole base <laughs> I think that just about covers it <laughs> uh I'm occasional dad to my kids as well. Yes. Yeah, uh, we we keep busy during the hockey season. We love it though. Yeah, no, we do. We do. We 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 love a, a lot of stuff. Um, I, we appreciate your time and, and giving us a, a little bit here um, of some of your insight. But let's just start with with the Blake Coleman trade and what Tampa Bay gave up. It's a hefty price, a first round pick and, and a first round prospect in Nolan Foot uh, that really shined. I thought at the World Juniors this year. Um, just your take on that trade and how much do you think Blake Coleman means now to this Lightning lineup? Well, I mean, it's it's a it's a trade where the Lightning are appropriately identifying that they have a very good chance to win this year, like they did last year, and they are you know they're sacrificing their a bit of their future, a bit of their future plans and their future uh, flexibility by and going for a really good player. So for Blake Coleman, um, very fast, feisty player. He'll get you twenty something goals. He's very good defensively. Uh, he can play against any any other team's line. I mean, I, I, you see him with Sorelli killing penalties or, or or matching up in a playoff series against the other team's first line, and and he'll be a handful. He'll fit in really well. Underrated skill, but a little grit, little jam, tons of speed. And I think the other part that you need to appreciate, as you do, is that we know that cap space is an asset, and your contract is the, an asset or a liability. And I think the big price that Coleman cost was partly because he has such a good contract. He is yep. way better than a $1.8 million player. I think that's what he makes this year and next. So the fact that they have him signed through next year at an affordable rate, because once again, like every summer, Tampa will have to make some tough decisions, to try to figure out their, their salary cap. So he makes a lot of sense. He's versatile, can play up the lineup. If there's injuries or something's ineffective, he can play down. Either way, he's going to be effective. So it makes a lot of sense. As far as what they gave up, First round pick, uh, obviously, is you never you're loath to part with those, but they did have a couple. Yep. So they were dealing from a position of strength, and the fact that they put in Nolan Foot, who you're right, uh, he was a first round pick late in the first round. Um, to me, probably says that they don't believe that he is a Tampa doesn't believe that he is a high high end prospect. He's not a slam dunk. They like him. They picked him in the first round. He had a good World Junior. He's having a you know pretty good year out in the WHL for Kelowna, but they they thought that he was you know they could part with him and they would be okay. I think it probably speaks about maybe how Tampa feels about him as a prospect, maybe not being you know a, a slam dunk top six kind of guy. 
and so they're willing to move on from him to try to win a Stanley Cup. And so I, I, I may I like what Jersey received, prospect, pick, upside potential. I like what Tampa did, but I think the contract for Coleman is the is the wild card while he is while he makes him even more valuable than just what he does on the ice. Yeah, I, I think Julian Brisebois in his uh, meeting with us, the conference call we had, mentioned once or twice how no player has probably outperformed their contract than Blake Coleman. So there's certainly that attractiveness uh, to it. And, and as we know, I mean, the line you're going to have to part ways with somebody next year, whether it's a Tyler Johnson or an Andre Pallott or Yanni Gord or somebody, Alex Kalorn maybe, you know, to kind of make room because Sorelli needs a new contract or Sergachev and uh, Eric Chernak. The, all these guys need new deals. So it, in that aspect, it's a business side as well uh, for Tampa Bay. But he is, like, does he get lost because of the team he plays for? You know, the expectations, they fell deep under those expectations. But, you know, they already had a, a P.K. Subban. They draft Jack Hughes. They have a Nico Heischer. They had Taylor Hall to start the year. Was he kind of lost in terms of maybe the general NHL fan looking at him? Yeah, probably, because I think while New Jersey was kind of an exciting, sexy team to watch coming into this year uh, because of all the changes that they made, you know, once they get off that slow start, and they've not been good for a few years. They had the one great one where Taylor Hall seemed to, to carry them more than it than most, but yeah, he, so you, you kind of not stop paying attention, but you don't watch him quite as closely, and he's not a big name, he doesn't have a ton of international experience, he's not in all-star games, and yet there he is, you know, 20-plus goals and under 60 games on pace for almost 30 and a team that doesn't generate very much, plus-minus is, a we know, a very flawed stat, but he's pretty good on that regard for a team that uh, gets outscored more often than not five-on-five, five. so yeah, I, I, I think it's not just because it's Jersey, but anyone who plays for a team that's out of the playoffs for most of the year, you might not appreciate exactly what they can bring because they're not at the forefront of the hockey consciousness because of where they are in the standings. But they're going to like him in Tampa. He is he is fast. He is chippy. He'll score some highlight reel goals. Uh, teammates will love having him around. And John Cooper will like having that versatility uh, at, his, uh, at, his, at his pleasure to, to use as, as he sees fit. How hard is it to score a one-handed goal? Because he's had a couple of those this year. <laughs> Apparently, it's easy for him. I mean, uh, so, like he's got, like, he, you know, he scores twenty whatever goals per season around that number, but he'll have three or four that are just ridiculous, best in the world highlight reel stuff. I don't know if he's strong on the wrist curls or what's going on, but um, he's got, he scores goals that we don't see very often, and I'm sure he's looking forward to trying to do some of that for for Tampa. Again, we're joined here by Mike Johnson on Lightning Lunch. And, uh, Mike, you were down here in Tampa at Amelie Arena back in December when the Senators were in town. Uh, that was the game where Lightning won in overtime, but it was also the game where Nikita Kucherov didn't play the third period or overtime. Uh, I know you were upstairs. I don't think you were down, so I think you were upstairs uh, yeah, for that I game. Were. But I remember you know, I, listening to a conversation you had with, with Scott Lachlan on Sirius just before you came down here that – the Lightning were kind of up and down at that time, and you were curious to get down here and kind of get the vibe. So what was the vibe you got while you were here, and how much have things certainly changed from your perspective two months later now that they're sitting second overall in the league? Yeah, well, so the vibe that I got when I was down there, and I was curious because, you know, so much had happened, the great year last year, the playoff failure and all the rest of it, and the slow start. And I, I was very curious to see just kind of what the mood was and what the temperature was around the rink and with Coop and everybody. And it, it was a combination of patient understanding. Nobody was panicking. They realized they weren't playing as well as they could, but they, they, they weren't overreacting to what had been a slow start. And that was encouraging. I think the players probably appreciated that. 
it probably was not easy for the organization to, to be patient and kind of wait for the guys to get re-engaged. Um, and so I picked that up from the coaching staff for management. You know, they were, they were sensing the urgency, but they weren't panicking by any stretch. Mm-hmm. But then when you got to the players, you sensed a real bit of disappointment. And, um, you know, they're almost upset with themselves. They, they, they knew they were better than they were playing, and they were angry with themselves for not playing well enough up to their standard. And it probably took October or November of, of kind of getting back in the, the rhythm of it and trying to get over what happened last year and the disappointment and getting into the new marathon, which won't really matter to Tampa because it it's only going to matter what happens in the playoffs, whether they finish first, second, third, whatever. It all matters about the playoffs. And, and I think it just took a long time for the team to get plugged back in, coupled with Andre Vasilevsky was not as good as he has been, as an understatement, but not as good as they expect him to be the first two months of the year. So you got a team that's you know, not quite dialed in, still a little bit disappointment. Your goaltender's not playing very well. And they were underachieving. And I talked about after that very game, because they were a bit of on the precipice there. Like it could have gone one of two ways. If Cooch would have pouted or been angry or lashed out or, you know, not reacted well to you – know, Art Ross, Hart Trophy winners don't get benched. Yep. Like they just don't. And he did. And he could, have, he could have gone a very different direction. I think the team would have gone a very different direction. And they probably wouldn't look like they do now if he did not respond to the challenge – and to his own play and to the words of John Cooper and come back and just play like the star that he is. Now, I'm assuming John Cooper knows the personality of Kucherov, knows that he would respond the right way. But as a, as a fan, as a player, I've seen star players not react well to getting sat down. Mm-hmm. And to his credit, he has. And I think along with Vasilevsky, Sorelli for sure. But Kucherov just taking that challenge and rising with it, uh, a big part of why they are once again – back up at the top of the league. Well, in the big part of what the team is trying to do this year, being better defensively, and it took them a while to get there. Now they're top, I think they're top five in the league in, in goals against. But it was they were trying to take high-risk plays out of their game at that time, and that was kind of the preaching really since before the plays, players even got on the ice for training camp. So when you see a Kucherov make that play that led to Declare's breakaway goal that tied the game at the time, and you sit him down, how he responds is one thing. How does that resonate with the team in a locker room when a star player of that caliber who makes a mistake, and that wasn't the first time that had been made for sure, but makes that kind of a mistake, sits down for it. How's the resonation in the room kind of react to that kind of stuff? Massive. Earthquake side reverberations (laughs) around the room. Coop's going to sit down the Hart Trophy winner because he had a drop pass in the wrong spot. Um... If I'm, a anyone, if I'm anyone else, I'm like, I better not do that because guess where I'm going to be? Right on the bench beside him. And that's part of the reason why it's not just Nikita Kucherov and, and trying to punish him for that decision. Yep. But John Cooper is smart enough to realize that that will resonate around the room and get everyone's attention as much or more than Cooch because, yeah, you're absolutely correct. Um, the, the, the willingness of a coach – to be consistent in an application of standards to the entire group is so important for the entire group to buy in. And that's exactly what he did with Nikita Kucherov that night. And Kucherov got the message, but I think in, in many ways the entire team did. 
Again, we're joined by Mike Johnson from NHL Network, NHL NBC, TSN, Sirius XM, NHL Radio. You can hear him 10 to 11 most weekdays with Scott Lachlan uh, on the Morning Skate Show. Um, what do you see different now about this team now that we're two months from when you were here in terms of the style of play? They had a stretch of seven straight games where they allowed two or fewer goals and their commitment to defense. How much different does this team look right now than maybe they did at this point last year? Um, then at this point last year, I mean, they're different than last year. Cause I think last year there was such a juggernaut offensively. I think they just felt no matter what we do, we'll just score. Like we can score our way out of anything. And, and, and they did. And that's why it's hard to say you can't play that way because why can't we, we win every time we do. Yep. So that was John Cooper's challenge to, to try to get them to, 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 to buy in because they're having success doing it a different way. So I think the mentality, the willingness to play defense and to win games by not outscoring issues, but just defending better is there. I think Vasilevsky is playing as well as maybe we've ever seen him, which is saying something because we know he's an exceptional goaltender. And I think I touched on him briefly. I think I know Anthony Sorelli was good. He was good last year. Mm -hmm. I think the strides he has taken this year to become, you know, an elite, elite level two-way centerman, you know, he's not going to get you 90 points. But, man, is he not going to let the opponent get anything either. And I, I think having another more mature, good two-way centerman to go along with points and you know whoever else they want to play down the middle, they have so many options that they can go down there with, um, again, gives them a different look. Now, he was good last year, but he's better this year. And when they get into tough games, when they get on the road, when you have point, you have Sorelli, you don't have to match so hard. You don't have to worry about who the other team throws out there. You know you're going to have a really good defender defending centerman on the ice against their team top line, that makes a difference. In the playoffs, on the road, it will make a difference. So I think his emergence, his growth, will be a big part of any success that Tampa has down the stretch and on into the playoffs. Well, and his emergence has pushed Steven Stamkos to the wing. I, you know, I mean, that's just he, – yeah. his, his play demanded more ice time from the coaching staff, and he doesn't play in the power play, so his, his ice time is all coming on penalty kill and basically the second-line center. So he, his emergence hasn't been a huge factor in this team this year, and the price tag for him just keeps going up and up, especially as we kind of gush over everything that he's been able to do um, uh, this, this season. So uh, he, he is – he's a fantastic he, – he doesn't give up. Like, you talk about Blake Coleman and, and how he doesn't give up. Well, Sorelli's the same way, right? Like, he doesn't give up on anything. Uh, you know, um, we've seen it a few times this year, just like Braden Point. And I think that's the, the identity that this team wants to have, right? They want to be a team that can, that can now defend, and I think they've been better than that, but also not give up on plays. And I think that's a huge, huge thing that maybe is a difference with this team from last year to this year is just their dogginess on everything and their understanding. I mean, how much pressure do you think is on them now? You know, they had the year they had last year, and they flopped in the postseason. How much pressure is them to – it's not easy to win a cup, but how much pressure is on them to, uh -huh. to, to do that? More pressure on Tampa than any other team in the league. More pressure on these guys this year than they probably will ever have in the NHL ever again to be successful in the playoffs. Because of their – had they advanced to the conference final and lost, had they got to the Stanley Cup final and lost last year, you could say, you know what, we know it's really hard to win a cup but they showed their worthiness of the journey and their record in the regular season. But because they got swept yeah. in the first round and they re-racked it back and they have another great team, they're going to have another 110 points this year. Um, the pressure to go deep in the playoffs is huge. 
just on a personal level, on a reputation level, legacy level, you know, Sammer, Cooch, they want to win a cup. This might be their best roster. You talked about, you know, decisions they're going to have to make due to salary constraints. Well, they're going to have to have that every summer coming up. This might be their best roster. Um, if Forget about changes for salary cap reasons. If they were to flame out again, the group would not come back another time. There would have to be changes made, significant changes. Core pieces would go out because you just couldn't stand that again. So they probably don't talk about that, but they all know it. It's there. Yeah. And so when April 8th or whenever the first day of the playoffs roll around, um, they'll have chewed on this for 12 months. And they'll have gone through a six-month journey that we know is really hard and it's challenging, all to play that first game and that playoff drive. None of what they do. We can talk about Sorelli and Cooch and Stammer scoring goals and, boy, Sergeyev ever taking a step in his game and all of it. None of it matters. And they know none of it matters unless they do well in the playoffs. And that's a lot of pressure. But if you're going to be a great player, if you're going to be a cup-winning team, that kind of pressure probably doesn't bother you and you expect them to thrive under it so uh, i guess we'll see i'm expecting them to thrive under it i think uh, as long as their goaltender plays well uh, i would expect no problems like last year to happen again this year i hope they're going to win but whatever happened last year will not happen this year yeah i I just get the sense there's a different mentality about this team not just their approach to the game but just their mental toughness and that was one of the things that people questioned last year how mentally tough were they when things didn't go well when they blew that game one three nothing lead against columbus now having said all that mike they're one and two there's a one point that separates boston and tampa bay in the atlantic division does it behoove the second place team in the atlantic maybe they're in a better position because you know when you're facing probably a Toronto or a Florida as opposed to a Columbus or a Philadelphia or a, um, a, a Carolina or the Islanders. Are you better suited finishing second in the Atlantic Division? Uh, no, because then you don't have home ice for the, third, for the second round. Okay. I mean, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself, but I mean, I understand Toronto is not going through a good time and Florida is kind of struggling too, but uh, you know, to suggest that Toronto would be decidedly easier than Columbus, and I want Tampa's like, bring on Columbus. I want Columbus <laughs> again, if we can, just to slay that dragon. But, you know, Islanders, Carolina, no, no first-round series will be easy. I want to finish as high as I can, and all the teams we play will have virtually the same number of points. So it's not about getting a lower seed. Yep. But I want the home ice for the next round. That's where I'm, you know, I'm never going to concede home ice for the second round just so I can have an easier opponent in the first round because all the opponents will be of a similar difficulty level to me. Yeah, you start playing with fire if you start thinking that way, right? Yeah, careful what you wish for. Yeah. You, you just might get it. Which is why this whole idea, this this proposal that Major League Baseball wants to do of uh, picking your first-round opponents, I don't know if that would work so well in hockey because you, you just put a chip on the other team's shoulder and you don't want to do that <laughs> at the NHL level. Well, it'd be funny to watch. It'd be a heck of a highly rated show when you're like, <laughs> you know what, I'm going to pick out a sequence. We're going to take this team. It would be amazing to watch and rivalries would be born. But um, I don't know if the conservative nature of the uh, – NHL fraternity would go down that road, but I'd watch if they did it. Uh, yeah, I'd, and I'd be pissed if I didn't. If a team, if a team above us picked out a sequence and picked us, you know you'd be pissed. Absolutely, I was gonna say that would that would just put a, a gigantic chi- size chip shoulder uh, oh. on the other team that you that the whoever is first would pick. So that would be very very interesting to watch, but I don't know how well it would go over. Uh, before we let you go, Mike, I want to ask you this one last question: the the, the Metro Division. You have the possibility of a sixth-place team in the Metro missing the playoffs with more points than whoever wins the Pacific. How ridiculous yeah. is that idea? 
Um, you know, every year there's one of these kind of anomalies, and maybe because they happen every year, they're not an anomaly. Uh, but yeah, that you're gonna have a, a sixth place team with 95 or 96 points, it, it seems impossible, but it, it looks like it's going to happen, and, and a really good team will miss. Um, you know, but I'm sure that you know, five years from now, some the Pacific team will not make the playoffs because, and they might have more points than a team in the Metro. It's it's the, it happens every year. The only way to change it is go one to eight. And if you go one to eight, then no one has anything to complain about. And I think we can make an argument from that. Now, I personally don't mind the NHL system. Like, I like the idea that Toronto's played Boston two years in a row. They might play them again. Like, that is amazing stuff. The fact that Pittsburgh and Wash would be meeting in the second round again. Like, I like those rivalries happening over and over. It's, it's part of, of, of what grows the game and, and, and what makes for the best moments. So, I understand if I'm on the team on the outside looking in, I would be upset in that year, but big picture, I, I think the thought behind the divisional one through three making it and then wild cards makes sense because I, in fact, enjoy. Like I don't, I don't care. Like I know people in Toronto complain. Well, we were the fifth best team in the conference, but we got knocked out in the first round to the second best team. That doesn't seem fair. Well, if you're going to get to the cup, and I'm not talking about dollars for revenues, but just if you're going to win it all, yeah, you're very likely going to have to beat Tampa. You're going to have to beat Boston. You're going to have to beat Pittsburgh or Washington. Like, that's the path. So whether you've hit them in the first round or the second, you're going to have to beat them anyway. So don't spend too much time worrying about it because the journey is going to be difficult no matter what you do. All right, fair enough. Um, yeah, hey, we'll look for you on – by the way, my son watched you on NBC the other day. He didn't realize you were doing stuff for NBC. He really enjoyed it. He's a uh, broadcaster in the making. So uh, he made sure oh, to man. tell me to give kudos to you for that. Oh, I appreciate that. The check's in the mail to him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Mike, I really appreciate you taking some time for us. I really do enjoy uh, listening to you and Scotty on SiriusXM and uh, whenever I can catch you on NHL Network. You do a fantastic job. Keep up the good work. I appreciate it, Ian. We will see you soon, hopefully uh, down in the playoffs. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Take care. All right, Mike Johnson, uh, fantastic, fantastic interview. He's uh, back when he, he played here. Um, I haven't brought this up to him, but he, he sort of backhandedly won Tampa Bay a cup. You didn't know this, did you, Connor? You have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> Johnson was included in the trade to Arizona that landed Nikolai Habibulin back at the end of the uh, 01-02 season, uh, or the 2000-2001 season, actually. And then, of course, we know the history a few years later that uh, Habibulin did lead Tampa Bay to a Stanley Cup championship in 2004. So, um we thank Mike Johnson first time again. Catch him, Sirius XM, uh, NHL Radio. He's on 10 to 11 most weekdays with Scott Lachlan. Uh, I love the back and forth between him and Scott. It's, it's really a uh, really good conversation between those two. Uh, also, NHL Network. He also does NHL on NBC. And uh, occasionally he does uh, an analyst job for TSN. That's why he was down here in December with TSN for the uh, Ottawa game here at Amelie Arena. All right, let's take a break. Uh, questions that uh, continue to come in, uh, we will address those on the other side of this. It's not too late to get them in. Use the hashtag AskEE on Twitter, um, and I will get to the questions. Of course, you can email me to eric at lightninginsider.com. We'll get to those when we come back right after this. That's all. Don't you know what this is? This is Lightning Lunch. I don't care. Oh, I wouldn't do that. I really wouldn't. A full hour of lightning talk on lightning power play. Always goes wrong when we come to the dessert. Mm. Always. 
Alright, welcome back to Lightning Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Uh, Eric Rowlandson, your host from LightningInsider.com. As a reminder, these shows do post on Apple Podcasts now, so you can find them uh, on Apple. Uh, of course, on our SoundCloud page as well, if you go to LightningPowerPlay.com and hit the um, replay link, it'll send you to our SoundCloud page and you can find it. Um, listener suggestion, we are going to start putting these up. We used to put them up a day after the fact, right? Like we would wait for the replays to come through and we would post the on-demand stuff shortly after uh, that last replay. But um, we're not we're not quite there yet, but we're going to start making these available more quickly on demand for you uh, after the show is done because, as uh, Phil pointed out, there's a lot of game day-related stuff, right? Like, there's a lot of day-specific stuff. So um, we have taken Phil's suggestion, and that, uh, we will start to post these on demand uh, on a quicker basis than we have uh, in the past. So, um, again, we take your feedback. If you have any suggestions like that, send them our way. Uh, we will take everything under consideration. If we feel it's the it's the right move to make, we will certainly uh, act upon that. So uh, look for, for the replays of these shows to be posted uh, on a much quicker basis uh, moving forward um, here in the coming days, probably, uh, as we get that all set up. So uh, speaking of that, have you listened to the Block Party with Dan Girardi podcast? If you haven't, you've missed guests like Marty St. Louis, Vinny LeCavalier, J.T. Miller, Dave Anderchuk, Phil Esposito, and more. This week, Dan and host Seth Kushner sat down with Brian Engblom, who gushed over Anthony Sorelli and Mikhail Sergachev. He talked about what it's like to get hit by a Sidney Crosby puck between the benches and discussed what music he would listen to in the locker room to get ready to play back in his day. It's the Block Party with Dan Girardi. New episodes post every Wednesday. Catch up now and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. All right, questions. Uh, let's start with Bob's. Uh, always a concern in Las Vegas. Does the team have a curfew or rules as to where they are at certain times of the day? Last year there was concern about the Vegas flu following three days in L Las Vegas. I think teams are over that now. You know, this is the third year Vegas has been in the league, so you've kind of run through that cycle a little bit. Uh, I don't think it's as at that much of a concern anymore. Certainly, uh, it's not called Sin City for nothing. There are certainly lots of uh, temptations, if you will. But, you know, I, having been around this game for a long time, you're going to come across, you know, certain players here and there who might be tempted a little too much by this. But for the most part, you don't see this anymore. You know, this isn't the days of – I mean, the reason morning skates were invented – put together was because players would stay out all night, you know, living it up on the road, wherever they were, uh, and then they have to be to the rink until, you know, 4 o'clock the next day. Well, and Freddie Shiro, we've heard Bobby the Chief Taylor talk about this a lot, started to institute the morning skate concept to where players would have to be at the rink, so, you know, they'd have to be in bed at a decent hour and uh, everything like that. So I don't think it's as much of a concern now. The players are a lot more professional. They're a lot more in tune with um, what they're ex what is expected of them and how they're expected to perform and how, you know, as Chief calls them, the ghost lows could affect you. I, you don't see that too much anymore. And and the thing is, is that if there was, you know, because of rookie dinners and there's stuff like that where, 
you know, some of that does go on. But I, I think I heard a player at one time say, never the night before a game. And the fact that they got to Vegas Monday night after they played in Denver, had an off day yesterday. I don't have concerns about players going out and party until 4 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, look, they got practice today too. Like they have practice. It's 11.30 local time as Vegas is in Pacific time zone. So they would have to practice today. And, you know, sometimes you can sweat it out if you happen to do it, you know, quite a bit. But. Um, I, I don't. I don't think there's any concern about the Vegas flu being something anymore. Um, it, it, like I said, this, this is a three-year. This is the third year Vegas has been in the league, so I, I think a lot of teams have kind of pushed past this. Uh, from Rossi, any news about the Bufflin situation? Still think he would be a good option of available. Yeah, it's been all quiet. You know, it it was a what a week and a half ago where you know the McKenzies and. Uh, the Darren Dreggers of the world were all discussing how a resolution was coming and that Buffalo was expected to be put on con uh, unconditional waivers for the purpose of terminating his contract. And, and here we are. It's been quiet since then. Uh, but I, I think that situation now with where it's at, I don't think will have a bearing on anybody for this season. You know, in order for him to be eligible for a, another team to participate in the postseason, you have to be on the roster before the trade deadline Monday at 3 p.m. I just I don't see that situation in terms of the Lightning's interest being an option at this point. Because you don't know, he hasn't played now in almost a calendar year, 10 months. You don't know what kind of shape his ankle is in where he's at from a dedication standpoint to getting back on the ice and playing. You know, there's there's a lot of questions with it that I think at this point now, I don't know that that would be an option for anybody, let alone Tampa Bay. Um, Dustin discussed uh, on the, the poll question uh, it, whether the Lightning should trade for a defenseman ahead of the Monday's trade deadline or not. 110% no. Gaunt's played great for us last year. Your depth is in your injuries. If you took someone now, who would they replace? McDonough and Ruda are coming back, so which one of them sits when you already have Shen? I think it's a bit of waste to me. Uh, oh, and the cap as well. The, ca the cap is not really a concern at this point. You know, According to Cap Friendly, in terms of available trade deadline day cap space, they have $7 million. So I don't think the cap is a concern this year. If you were to bring in a player with term, it's a different situation. But if you were looking just to add a depth player, you know, the, the name Dylan DeMello had come up a couple of times. Uh, he ended up going to Winnipeg for a third-round draft pick. You know, just depth, just to have somebody around. If, if you were to, to bring in a high-profile defenseman, certainly that would cost you something. It would probably cost you somebody off your roster. I don't. I still don't get the impression that Julian likes the idea of rental markets. He proved that again in the acquisition of Blake Coleman, who has one year left on his deal. If you look at the the big trade deadline deals that the Lightning have made in the Steve Eiserman era, starting in 2015 in particular, 
the deals that they made have brought in players with term. When Braden Colburn was acquired from the Philadelphia Flyers, 2015, had a year left on his deal, ended up extending him. When they brought in Ryan McDonough and JT Miller, McDonough had a year left on his deal. Miller was a restricted free agent, some contract control. And now again this year, Blake Coleman with one more year left on his deal. So if they've made these type of deals that have you know, cost them something, then it's usually a player with terms. So you just don't get the feel that he would dip into the rental market, if you will. And um, I, I think they need depth. I don't think you could ever have enough defensemen. I mean, you've, like I mentioned, you've got three injured defensemen right now. Once you get past Cameron Gaunt, there's not really anybody on the back end down in Syracuse with NHL experience. You know, Cal Foot and Dominic Machine have been their number one pairing for the most part this year, especially with Gaunt's up here. So they don't really have anybody, you know, in the minors that you could bring up and feel comfortable relying on. You know, you don't want to have to throw a rookie into a situation to where they're counted on. You want to put them into situations to where they can kind of feel their way and, and have success and build on success and uh, everything like that. Because as we know, I mean, one mistake in a series can cost you the entire series. So that's what you kind of have to keep in mind as well. Um, so I, I, I am personally in the corner of uh, at least depth on defense. I'm still not convinced that Jan Ruda is the long-term solution to playing with Victor Hedman. Um, you've seen here with McDonough and Ruda and especially Coburn now out from the game the other night in Denver, Victor Hedman's logging a lot of ice time. They like, they like to keep him around the 22, 23-minute mark. Well, with the injuries, he's been up to 27, 28, 29. He played 32 minutes against Philadelphia on Saturday. Not that he can't handle it, but do you want to have to keep relying on that on a consistent basis? I, I, I don't want to have to rely on it on a consistent basis. I, I would want to have depth and maybe cut down on some of his ice time. I mean, he had a penalty kill there late in, this, in the third period on uh, Monday. He'd never left the ice. He was out there for the entire penalty kill. So, again, that's just my thought, uh, thought process on it. Um, all right, last question from Paul. As the Lightning get healthy, what do you think about resting their stars periodically down the stretch to keep them fresh and healthy? I think it's something to consider. I think we brought this up yesterday when we try and figure out where Blake Coleman might fit into the lineup, who he might play with, and who might come out, that at some point, I, I don't I don't know if I would necessarily be opposed to, you know, especially with, you know, Kucherov and Sorelli and Stamkos all missed games recently because of injury. You know, give them an extra night off or give them the night off in the second half of a back-to-back -back and maybe go through that, not necessarily a rotation, but, you know, you don't want, let's say it's Carter Verhage. We don't know this yet, but let's say it's Carter Verhage who's the odd man out and becomes a 13th forward. Do you, you don't want him sitting for the next seven weeks. You don't want to get him in the lineup. So I could see that. You know, we don't know what the injury bug is, is going to bite again. Hopefully the, the team is done with it. But it's always there. But if everybody remains healthy, I, I am not opposed to the idea of just periodically giving a guy a game off. You know, not necessarily because everybody can use the rest, but 
you just take them out of harm's way for a game, right? They're not out there 20 minutes and blocking shots and putting themselves into situations where they're going to get hit in the corner. You know, you just you just give them a night off from getting their body beat up. Take them out of harm's way. I have no problem with that thought process. No problem whatsoever. Uh, all right, that's going to wrap up today's show. Uh, again, the Lightning are on the ice scheduled somewhere around 2.30 uh, in Vegas as they get set for tomorrow night's game against the Golden Knights. That's a 10 p.m. game in Vegas, by the way. Uh, that's on Fox Sports Sound, of course. You can listen to it here on Lightning Power Play. Greg Linelli has uh, Lightning Power Play live for you at 6 o'clock tonight. Uh, that's 6 o'clock tonight for Greg Linelli. Don't forget, we are now available on Apple Podcasts, so you can just go to, to Apple Podcasts and just search for Lightning Power Play, and you'll find the replay of all of our shows there, uh, so you can look for this one as well. Uh, I'd like to thank Mike Johnson for coming on the show. Uh, it was great to have him on. We had him on last year. Uh, very, very insightful. I love the work he does for the various outlets that he works for. So thanks, Mike, for coming on the show. Thanks to Paul and Dustin and Fabio and everybody else who sent in questions. As always, thanks to Connor Zielinski for putting it together. We'll be back with you at noon tomorrow with Mike McKenna. Until then. Bye-bye, everybody.